Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you uh, for this day. Lord, uh, it is once again good to be in your house, and we just celebrate today uh, because it's really important that you rose again from the dead. And so, Lord, we're thankful for that. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear your word today, maybe uh, to be reminded or maybe in a new way today. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, so I grew up in uh, a suburb of uh, the Twin Cities area in Minnesota, and uh, my after graduating from high school, I moved uh, to Minot, North Dakota. Which does anybody know Minot, where that is, or been there before, or something like that? All right, we yes, okay, we got a couple. Uh, people here, all right, Minot, North Dakota, there's no reason you should ever go to Minot, North Dakota, all right, let me just tell you this right now, middle of the state, middle of nowhere, the only reason that I went there was uh, because I had received a scholarship to play basketball, and so um, I show up, and I find out that my roommate is a guy named Jeremy, who uh, also is there to play basketball, he's like six foot eight, really tall, lengthy, everything like that. And Jeremy and I were, were kind of different. We came from different like uh, places and where we grew up because I grew up kind of similar, like around a city, but Jeremy grew up in Park Rapids, North Dakota. Like Minot was the big city for him, all right? This was like blowing his mind with all the people that were there. He grew up in this really small, tight, knit family that knew like everything about each other and talked like every single day, all right? Anybody like come from a family like that by chance, all right, where you just know everything, right? So, um, so here we are, Jeremy's parents like owned the grocery store where, uh, where he grew up and it was great because he would bring all kinds of groceries to the dorm room and I would eat them all and everything like that, contributed to my freshman 15, all right, and and then uh, there was this moment 14 years ago where Jeremy and I were up late as like 18, 19-year-old kids do, and he looks at me and he says, Dave, I got this great idea. Give me your cell phone. So I hand him my cell phone, and he proceeds to call his mom using like star six seven. This was like a way to like call somebody like privately, so it came up on the caller ID that way. And he calls his mom one o'clock in the morning on April first of two thousand and four. He says this, "Mom, I'm in big trouble." Okay, Jeremy, what's what's going on? Well, you know, uh, my roommate Dave. Yeah, yeah, he's like the best roommate that anybody could have. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we got into this really big like scuffle and we were kind of messing around and stuff like that, but then it turned like serious and she's like, oh no, Jeremy, uh, what's, what's happening? What's going on? He's like, well, we went out into the hallway and I started like pushing each other and we started like 
throwing punches and stuff like that. And mom, remember, we live on like the third floor and, and there's like this window like at the end of the hall. And she's like, oh my gosh, Jeremy, what are you going to say? And he's like, well, I got really angry and upset. And so I pushed Dave as hard as I could. And when I pushed him, he like went backwards, lost his footing and he fell, mom. He fell from the third story of our dorm room, mom. I don't know if he's okay, but I got to go. They're telling me right now, bye, click. And here I am, like, why are you using my cell phone, bro? And, and Jeremy just let it hang for like 20 minutes. He didn't, like, answer the phone when his cell phone started ringing. Like, when the dorm room, like, phone started ringing, he didn't answer or anything like that. And finally, 20 minutes later, I hear Jeremy pick up the phone and he says, to his mom, hey mom, April Fools. So Jeremy that year won the worst son of the year award, <laughs> but it, it reminded me of this very moment here that like Jeremy's mom then had some incredibly choice words to say to Jeremy that I can't repeat in church here this morning. But what I was seeing in this moment is that Jeremy came from this really small, tight-knit family that knew everything about everyone. And what was happening in this moment, Jeremy's mom went on to explain that, like, Jeremy, we were in the car. We had already made our way. We were starting to come to Minot, the big city, to come and be there for you. Because there's no doubt that we absolutely hate looking foolish unless we realize that the battle is worth it. We hate looking foolish unless the battle was worth it. For Jeremy's mom in this moment, it was her son. She didn't mind looking foolish. She was going to step into that and move forward. And today we're going to like talk about uh, this series that we are starting here for the month of April that is called Foolish Things That Christians Believe. For the month of April, we'll be addressing a couple of different themes that really seem to be foolish, but my hope and promise for us is to recognize that they're worth enduring. They're worth leaning into and wrestling with. And today, I think it's important for us to first recognize this, this simple little point that it's okay to be called a fool. It's okay to be called a fool, especially on April Fool's Day. It's okay to be called a fool. I would be willing to bet or argue that there have been many, time through, many times throughout history that, that people have been called foolish while they're in the middle of enduring and battling something. Uh, for example, how about Orville and Wilbur Wright? You know these guys? Two brothers that had set out for this mission to have uh, human beings to be able to fly in the air. I could guarantee you that people, as they saw these Wright brothers out there in North Carolina saying, these guys are really foolish, really silly and dumb to be wasting their time. Or this guy, Thomas Edison, here in his invention of the light bulb, it was noted that it took Edison a thousand unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. 
I got a feeling that somebody at like attempt six was like, hey, dude, Tom, maybe that's kind of a foolish thing. Edison, in regards to that, uh, a reporter asked him one time, how did it feel to uh, fail a thousand times? His response was, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Nice spin, Tommy. (laughs) But it's true. We will endure things if we recognize that they're worth enduring. Because for some of us, we realize this here as fans of this team, right? How many years did the Cubs fans have to endure looking foolish? Why would you ever root for a team that's cursed by a goat and has some guy in left field? And then finally, 2016 happened and you all had the last laugh, right? We endure things if they're worth enduring. And it's interesting because uh, the Bible would say it this way. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul would write this. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, speaking to a group of Christians, he said, For the word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing. For those who don't believe, what we are doing here this morning is incredibly foolish. What Jesus has done on the cross and risen from the dead, for those who don't believe, this is just a foolish thing, and Jesus is pulling the ultimate April Fool's joke. But to those who do believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's, it's said that um, there's two things when your family gathers that you should never talk about. The first one is politics, and who can tell me what the second one is? Religion, right? Uh, Simply said, like when you gather with your family, if that's today or something like that, uh, generally speaking, if somebody mentions the word Trump, things are about to go down, right? But the same is true, I would argue, for Jesus as well. Because there's somebody in your family or somebody that like is in that moment that's like, man, I don't really want to talk about this. If you were to like Google Jesus' name, there's close to a billion results that come up. This guy is incredibly controversial. In fact, if you were to go on the Amazon and just type in his name, Jesus, there are over 200,000 books that are about Jesus. My wife would say I own a fourth of them. Half, she says. This guy is incredibly controversial. Jesus was somebody that, that brought up controversy. He was controversial because of how he came into the world. He's controversial because of how he acted while he was in this world. And he's controversial because of what was said about him. And to some, it seemed incredibly foolish. Think of it this way. Jesus comes and he's born of a virgin That seems kind of silly. Jesus comes and he's able to heal people. He can walk on water. You sure he wasn't wearing like floaties on his feet or something like that? Jesus comes and he urges us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, I don't know if you know how this works, but that seems kind of foolish. 
doesn't seem like the right way to go. And then this moment today that we celebrate, that he dies on a cross and rises again, that is the most controversial moment in all of history. Because if Jesus doesn't rise again from the dead, he's just another dude. He's just another person that has came and lived in this world. In fact, Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 15, we read these words, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's saying your faith is worthless. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, you are still in your sin. Then all of those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, Paul writes, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. So much hangs on today. So much rests on this very moment. And research has been done like crazy to look at the resurrection. And we've come up with theories and thoughts of like how in the world could this actually be true? Some will say that, well, how do you know that the disciples went to the right tomb? Maybe they like got lost on their way and went to the wrong place. Some would say, well, maybe the disciples were just kind of hallucinating and they just wanted this to be so true that they were just thinking about it and then they actually believed that it was true even though it didn't happen. Some would say, well, he didn't really die on a cross. He just got really beaten up. And, you know, medical advancements and things like that weren't as great back then as they are today. And so they just took him off the cross. He wasn't really dead. And then he gained his strength and three days later came out. Or some would even say that this was just an inside job. Something that would save the face of the very people who had followed him. And if that's you today, if that's where the questions that you bring to the table here as you walked in through this church, I just first want to applaud the fact that you're here. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean that as I applaud the fact that you would step in to a church on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you did that to please your spouse or to not cause tension at home or whatever it is. I just want to say thank you for taking some time to come here and tell you this morning that your questions are very valid. And there's been this like tension in the church that we think that like you're just supposed to listen to everything that I have to say and just shut up and take it. Today, I am praying that this would be a moment that you would have those questions and bring them and be honest about those questions to lean into those very things. Because what happens too often in our lives is that we get stuck and we don't wrestle with the battles that are in front of us. 
there was this guy who was a skeptic. His uh, name was C.S. Lewis. Later, uh, had a conversion and uh, wrote many books on Christianity. He's known for a book called Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia, just a really smart guy. And he has this to say about the resurrection. I love this quote. He says, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He, being Jesus, is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. And today, I want us to take this lens to imagine. Even if you have questions, imagine the fact if Jesus really did rise from the dead. Imagine if this story is to be true. The implications of it would be massive and huge. I love how Lewis says it, that he would like kick open a door that had been closed for a long time. It would have been the moment that the Wright brothers got that like elevation, right? Where it would have been like, oh my goodness, this might actually happen. It would have been like the moment when Edison, at a thousandth time, finally the light bulb came on. What about a moment that if Jesus rises again from the dead, there is reason to celebrate? And there's reason to celebrate because he made a bunch of promises. They were big promises that came to be fulfilled through his death and resurrection. In fact, Jesus would say these words. He would say that I'm preparing a place for you in my Father's house for eternity. If the death and resurrection of Jesus is true, what that means is that he is prepared a place for you and me for eternity. If the death and resurrection is true, there was this time that Jesus uh, saw this woman who was caught in adultery and she was brought to him. And these people wanted to stone her because she deserved to be killed for what she had done. And Jesus steps in the middle there and he says, you don't have the right to do this and I forgive you your sin. Go and sin no more. And if Jesus' death and resurrection is true, he's the one that steps in the way for you and me when we don't deserve it. If Jesus' death and resurrection is true, when Jesus said these words, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, through his death and resurrection, what Jesus is saying is this, this, this life of following me, this life of being a Christian is not easy. Don't buy into the lie that once you just follow Jesus, everything is going to be perfect and work for your benefit. But what Jesus is saying is that this world will be tough, but take heart, the hope that I offer is greater than anything else in this world. And if Jesus' death and resurrection is true, when he came to say 
that I give you life and I give it to you abundantly. That this life of following Jesus is not just some safety net when you die to cope. But it is something that is given to you that gives you life right here, right now in the way that you were created to live and be because of his death and resurrection. And Paul says this finally in this letter in 1 Corinthians. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. What Paul is simply saying is this, that if Jesus has risen from the dead, then you and me as well will experience a resurrection through belief and trust in him. And what Jesus does by this very moment, that's why it's the most crucial moment in the history of time, he gives us this new reality to look through. There's no doubt that we hate looking foolish unless the battle is worth it. And today, God is putting, once again, this new reality into place. A new reality like when the plane flew in North Carolina and the light bulb came on, it was a new reality that would shift the course of history in time. And it was in this day, on Easter morning, that God exclaimed, and he put his foot on the ground to say, that I am putting something new into place. And because of my death and resurrection, we too will experience the promises that he brings. And so my challenge today is simply this. It's twofold. First, for, for those here this morning, whether this is your first time or you've came to Galewood multiple times, if you're one that's like, hey, pastor, really like your shirt today, looks really good, but, but I got questions, and they're real. Like, I, if I were to be very honest with you, like, like I kind of like coming here because I like the music and things like that, but, but I, man, I, I just don't know if that's really what this is all about. That seems like a really massive claim. My challenge for you today is simply to lean into that. My dad reminded me of, of this quote uh, this week. It's this. He, he says uh, that our greatest fear should not be of failure, but our greatest fear should be at succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Say it again. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but our greatest fear should be succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. 
And if that's you today, you got questions about who Jesus is, I, I just want to affirm the fact that I'm glad that you're here. And, and I want you to know that you're looking at somebody who also had a lot of big questions about who Jesus is. This isn't something that is like uh, foreign to me. I have these questions in my own life, and the reason I'm here is because Jesus brought us here. In fact, uh, one of the books early on, I had this radical con uh, conversion my sophomore year of college where I, I left a bunch of stuff behind and wound up in Chicago. And somebody who walked with me and mentored me and, and told me about the faith, and early on they gave me this book right here. It's called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And it's just a powerful book that just gives conversation to some of those big questions. If that's you here today, I would ask and urge you to lean in. In fact, we've got 10 copies of that book in the back. And all I would love for you to do with each one of those copies is it's small enough that you can sneak it into your pocket and let nobody know that you took it, all right? But inside of that book is my business card. And all I would ask for you this morning is to just tell me that you took it and that you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee. If you want to have a beer, even better. <laughs> but I want you to lean in. Lean into those questions because I can promise you that they're worth it. But if you're here today and you're like, hey, pastor, like I, I really do believe. Like I'm here. I'm excited. I'm ready to celebrate. Well, today, celebrate. Find great hope and joy in the resurrection. Be reminded again that God has established a new reality and he has brought resurrection that we too get to experience that here today in this very moment. And I want to challenge you this way, to keep going, to keep enduring to join us in the struggle and battle. We are not a perfect church. We are a small church that meets every other week for worship, that has groups that are gathering throughout the week to wrestle with who God is. In fact, the name of God's people is Israel, and that literally means the one who wrestles with God. I would invite you to join us in that wrestle. If that's you today, we would be honored for you to come with us in this journey. <laughs> we hate looking foolish, but we endure the things that are worth the battle. And today, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, don't be afraid to be called foolish because what Jesus confidently says here this morning is that the battle is worth it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your life. God, I thank you for the death and resurrection of your son. Lord, there's, the implications of that are massive and huge. The struggle with that is massive and huge. And God, as we seek to understand what it means to look, live, and love more like you, 
Lord, this is all futile without what you have done for us. So, Lord, thank you for the gift of your life and the resurrection that that brings to all people. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.